Section 20 of A Commentary on the Epistle to the Romans by John Calvin, translated by Francis Sibson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Romans 14, verses 1 to 23. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him that eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. Him that is weak. He now passes on to a precept very necessary for the instruction of the church, that such as have made greater progress in Christian doctrine should suit themselves to the more ignorant, and bestow all their own strength for supporting the weakness of the inexperienced. For there are some of God's people weaker than others, and if they are not treated with great tenderness and clemency, they become dispirited, and are at length estranged from religion. It is probable this occurred in a very great degree in the first age of the gospel, for the churches were formed by a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, some of whom had been so long accustomed to observe the ritual of the law of Moses, and instructed in it from their infancy, as not easily to relinquish an adherence to its ceremonies. The rest, who had never been taught it, avoided the unaccustomed yoke. But since men are readily inclined, from a variety of opinions, to involve themselves in disputes and controversies, the Apostle shows how men of such various sentiments may continue in the church without disagreement. He orders it, as the best method, for the more strong to labour in assisting the weak, and for such as have made greater progress to bear with the ignorant. For God does not confer on us greater strength than others for enabling us to oppress the weak, nor is it the duty of Christian wisdom to become insolent beyond measure, and to despise others. In this way, therefore, he directs his conversation to such as have acquired more skill, experience, and firmness, who are more powerfully obligated to assist their neighbours, on account of their enjoying greater degrees of grace not to doubtful disputations. A word is wanting to complete the sense, which can signify nothing else than that the weak should not be harassed with troublesome disputes. We ought to keep in mind the hypothesis now under the consideration of the Apostle, for, since many of the Jews still adhered to the shadows of the law, he confesses they were faulty in doing so, but requires pardon to be shown them for a short time, because, by pressing them with more severity, their faith would only be undermined he denominates those disputations doubtful which disturb the mind not yet sufficiently settled or involve it in doubts we may however extend this farther namely to all the thorny slippery crabbed questions which disquiet and disturb weak consciences without edification we must therefore consider what questions each is able to receive and suit our doctrines to their capacities for one believes I do not understand what Erasmus has followed in the various reading he has used, for the sentence, which is entire in the original, is mutilated by his translation, and instead of using the relative article, he improperly adopts the following version, another indeed believes. There is nothing harsh or strained in taking the infinitive for the imperative, as Paul frequently adopts this structure. He calls those believers who are fully persuaded in their conscience, and allows them an indifferent use of everything. The weak, however, only eats herbs, and abstains from the use of such articles of food as he considers to be prohibited. If the common reading is more approved, the meaning will be that it is unfair for him who freely eats all things to try such as are tender and weak by the same rule. 
for it is absurd to understand by weak those who are sick. Let not him that eateth. The apostle meets both these defects in a prudent and appropriate manner. The defect of such as are more strong in the faith consists in their despising, nay even ridiculing those who are entangled by vain scruples as too superstitious. The scrupulous, on the contrary, can scarcely avoid drawing hasty inferences, and are disposed to condemn what they do not fully understand, and to consider everything improper which is not done according to their view of the subject. He warns the former to avoid contempt of their brethren, and the latter not to indulge in too much niceness and scrupulosity. The reason which he assigns, since it suits both classes of believers, applies to each member of the sentence. Since you behold, says Paul, a human being being enlightened by the knowledge of God, you have sufficient proof of his being received by the Lord, and you reject, by despising or condemning such a character, one whom God has embraced. Who are you? as you would act in an uncivil, nay, in a proud manner, by wishing to compel another man's servant to obey your laws and to regulate all his conduct according to the rule and standard of your own will, so you act with too great presumption by condemning anything in a servant of God, because it does not afford you pleasure. For it is not your duty to prescribe what conduct he ought to pursue and what to avoid, nor is it necessary for him to live according to a law which you prescribe. We are not entitled to judge either of his character or conduct. We ought, in judging of a man's character, to leave him, whatever he is, to the will of God. His conduct must be examined by the word of God, and not by the standard of our own opinion. The judgment formed by the word of God is neither another's nor man's. Paul intends in this passage to prevent us from falling into all rashness, informing our opinions, which those necessarily do, who dare pronounce judgment without the word of God. To his own master he standeth or falleth. It is properly the power of God to disapprove or to applaud the conduct of his servant. All, therefore, who attempt to assume this power to themselves act unjustly towards the Lord. By adding, but he will stand, he not only orders us to refrain from condemning, but exhorts to clemency and humanity, that we may always entertain good hopes of him in whom we behold anything of the divine character, because the Lord has given us cause to hope, that he will fully confirm and lead on to perfection those in whom he has begun the work of his grace. For he does not argue simply from the power of God, as if he had said, God can do it if he chooses, but he unites, according to Scripture, God's will with his power. Nor does he determine in this passage the necessity of their continuing, as if those cannot fail abiding to the end whom God hath once raised up, but he only exhorts and instructs us to entertain good hopes, and to let our judgments incline to that side, as he also teaches in another part of his epistles, Philippians 1.6, he who hath begun a good work will finish it unto the end. To conclude, Paul shows how the judgments of those incline, in whom love is strong, lively, and vigorous. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks, and he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. One man esteemeth. He lately spoke of religion in the choice of meats. He now adds another example with regard to the difference of days, and each of these was derived from Judaism. For when the Lord distinguishes between meats in his law and pronounces some unclean and forbids the use of them. 
when he also appoints certain festivals and solemn days, and solemn days, and commands them to be observed, the Jews, who had from their infancy been instructed in the doctrine of the law, could not lay aside that reverence for days, which they had conceived from the beginning, and to which they had been accustomed during the whole course of their lives, and they dared not touch meats which had been detested for so long a period. It was a part of their weakness to be imbued with these opinions, for had they clearly and certainly understood the nature of Christian liberty, they would have formed different opinions." It was the duty of piety to refrain from that conduct which they considered unlawful, as an attempt to do anything which was opposed to their own conscience would have proceeded from rashness and contempt. The apostle in this instance adopts a wise moderation when he orders every one to be fixed and determined in his plan, meaning that Christians ought to study obedience with so much care as to do nothing which they do not think or rather are sure will please God and this principle of good living ought to be undoubtedly fixed in our minds to depend and rest upon the will and nod of god and not to allow ourselves to move a finger with a doubtful or vacillating mind for rashness will immediately proceed with rapid strides to obstinacy when we dare advance one step farther than we are permitted according to the conviction of our own conscience should the unceasing perplexity of error and the impossibility on that account of weak persons enjoying that certainty which paul requires be objected an answer is easily ready since such characters will be pardoned provided they keep themselves within their own prescribed bounds for paul was desirous merely to restrain that immoderate license by the practice of which many thrust themselves as it were by chance into a doubtful and irregular course of actions paul therefore requires us to choose the will of god which is to preside as the regulator and governor of all our conduct he that regardeth the day to the lord he regardeth it since paul was fully and certainly convinced that the observance of days proceeds from an ignorance of christ we cannot believe he would have given his entire and unqualified support of such a corruption and yet the words seem to imply that no offence is committed by the observer of days for god can accept nothing but what is good it is necessary therefore to distinguish between the opinion entertained by any one concerning the days to be observed and the observance by which he binds himself the opinion of the jewish converts is superstitious for paul grants this by condemning it under the name weakness and he will do it again soon in a more open manner but god approves of the person influenced by this superstition who does not dare to violate the solemnity of the day because a doubtful conscience has not courage to undertake anything against conviction for what could a jew do who had not yet made such a progress as to be freed from the religious observance of days the observance of days is commended in the word of the lord whose authority he grants the necessity of observance is imposed by the law and he does not yet perceive its abrogation nothing remains therefore but to wait for a more extended revelation to confine himself within the bounds of his capacity and not to enjoy the benefit of liberty before he has embraced it by faith the same opinion must be formed of him who refrains from unclean meats should he eat in such a state of doubt and perplexity he would not receive it as a benefit from the hand of god but lay his hands on things forbidden let him therefore use other things which he considers to be allowed and follow the measure of his own understanding he will thus thank the lord which he could not do were he not fully convinced that he was fed and supported by the kindness of god he is not to be despised on this account as if he gave offence to the lord by such sobriety and pious timidity nor is there any absurdity in saying the modesty of a weak man is approved of god not because he deserves approbation but by the indulgence of his heavenly father 
but because he lately required certainty and conviction of mind that no one might rashly and of his own will undertake the observance of any particular line of conduct with respect to days or meats we ought to consider whether the apostle does not rather exhort than affirm in this passage for the following sense agrees better with the context let every one be fully convinced of the reason of his actions for he must give an account before the divine tribunal since both in eating and refraining from food he must have a regard to the sovereign giver of all blessings certainly nothing is better calculated to restrain an improper freedom in judging or to correct superstition than to be cited before the tribunal of god and on this ground paul wisely proposes to every individual to appear before that judge to the will and beck of whom he may refer all his actions nor is this view opposed by the apostle addressing them in the affirmative for he immediately subjoins no one lives to himself and no one dies to himself where he does not state what men may do but commands what line of conduct they ought to pursue for he says that we then practise abstinence and live to the lord when we give him thanks our use of meats therefore and our abstinence from them without thanksgiving is impure we and all our actions can be sanctified by calling on the name of god alone for none of us liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself for whether we live we live unto the lord and whether we die we die unto the lord whether we live therefore or die we are the lord's for to this end christ both died and rose and revived that he might be lord both of the dead and living for none of us he now confirms his former opinion by reasoning from a whole to a part namely we need not wonder if the particular actions of our life ought to have respect to the lord since it ought to be wholly devoted to his glory for the life of a christian is then conducted in a proper manner when the whole scope of his actions is regulated by the will of god but if all your actions ought to be referred to his will it is altogether impious to attempt anything which you consider to be displeasing to him nay which you are not fully persuaded to be calculated to afford him pleasure to live to the lord does not signify as in chapter six verse eight to be quickened by his spirit but to guide our conduct according to the will pleasure nod and command of the lord and to order and regulate all things to his glory nor are we only to live but die to the lord both our life and death are to be surrendered to his will and he adds the best of all reasons because whether we live or die we are the lord's whence it follows that he has power equally over our life and death the use of this doctrine is extensive for god's power is thus claimed over life and death that the condition of every individual may be endured as a yoke imposed by the disposer of all events for it is right for him to assign every one his station and course and we are not only in this way forbidden to attempt anything hastily without a command from god but patience has commanded us in all our troubles and inconveniences if the flesh therefore at any time starts back from adversity let us remember that a man who is not free and master of himself perverts all law and order if he does not depend upon the will nod and pleasure of his god a rule of life and death is thus afforded us for if the lord lengthens our life in the midst of continued troubles uneasiness and weariness we ought not to desire to depart before our time and should he suddenly recall us in the very flower of our age we ought to be invariably ready and equipped for our departure for to this end christ both died this affords a confirmation of the reason just assigned with a view to prove that we must both live and die to the lord for he had said we are in the power of christ whether we live or die he now shows how deservedly christ claims for himself this power over us having purchased it for so great a price 
for by undergoing death for our salvation he acquired a dominion for himself which could not be dissolved by death and by rising he had a claim upon all our life as his property by his death therefore and resurrection he has merited that we should serve to the glory of his name both in death and life the passage he rose and revived again signifies that a new state of life had been procured for him by his resurrection because the life he now enjoys is not subject to change his power and dominion over us are also eternal but why dost thou judge thy brother or why dost thou set at naught thy brother for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of christ for it is written as i live saith the lord every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to god so then every one of us shall give account of himself to god let us not therefore judge one another any more but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way but why dost thou paul after devoting the life and death of us all to christ passes on to mention the judgment conferred upon christ by the father with the dominion of earth and heaven hence he infers the unreasonable character of such boldness as usurps to itself the judgment of a brother since by this liberty christ the lord is deprived of the power which he alone hath received from the father but by the very name of brother he particularly restrains all inordinate desire for passing judgment for if the lord hath determined that we should have a mutual right to brotherly society it is our duty to preserve our equality inviolate and every one therefore assuming to himself the character of a judge will act an unreasonable part he then recalls our attention to the only judge from whose tribunal none has a power to escape much less to seize upon his authority for a christian to take to himself the liberty of judging the conscience of a brother would be as strong a proof of absurdity as if a criminal who ought to lie prostrate at the footstool of his judge should seize upon his tribunal such is nearly the argument of james chapter four verses eleven and twelve he who judges a brother judges the law and is not an observer of the law but a judge while on the contrary he says there is one lawgiver who can both save and destroy the word tribunal means the power which christ possesses of being judge as the voice of the archangel by which we shall be summoned is named in another place one thessalonians four sixteen the trump for he will strike the minds and ears of all by his own awful sound for it is written as i live the apostle appears to me to have cited this testimony isaiah forty five twenty three not so much for the purpose of proving his opinion concerning the judgment of christ which was undoubtedly maintained among all christians as to show that all must expect it with humility and submission such evidently is the sense of the passage his words therefore in the first place prove that the judgment of the whole human race is in the power of christ alone he secondly here demonstrates from the expressions of the prophet that all flesh ought to be humbled in expectation of such a glorious judgment and this is signified by every knee bowing down to his majesty although the lord in this passage of the prophet predicts in general that his glory will be distinguished among all nations and his own majesty shine forth in every part of the world with splendour which was concealed at that period as in some obscure corner of the earth among a very small number of people yet if we take a narrower view of this subject it is evident this prophecy is neither fulfilled now nor ever has been nor can any hopes be entertained of its future completion god reigns at this time in the world only by his gospel nor is his majesty duly honoured in any other way than when it is made known to us in his word the word of god always had its enemies by whom it was obstinately opposed and its despisers who mocked at it as a mere fable and a subject fit only for ridicule 
many characters of this description exist at the present time and will continue through all ages hence it is evident this prediction commences indeed in the present life but its completion cannot take place until the day of the last resurrection shall have shone forth and christ's enemies become his footstool when the lord shall have taken his seat for judgment and on this account it is properly applied to christ's tribunal it is also a remarkable passage for confirming our faith in the eternal divinity of christ for god speaks in this passage nay the very god who has declared my glory i will not give to another isaiah forty two eight now if that is completed in christ which god there claims for himself alone the deity without doubt manifests itself in christ the truth indeed of this prophecy openly appeared at that period when christ collected for himself a people from the whole world and reduced it under the obedience of his gospel and the worship of his name paul also had this text in mind philippians two nine when he says that god had given his christ a name at which every knee should bow this will be fully manifested when he shall have ascended his tribunal to judge both the quick and dead since all judgment in heaven and earth has been given him by the father the words of the prophet are every tongue shall swear to me but since an oath is a kind of divine worship the language of paul in this verse every tongue shall confess to god conveys the same meaning for the lord intended merely to affirm that all men would not only acknowledge his name but confess their obedience to him both by their mouth and the external gesture of their body namely the bending of their knee to his authority so then every one of us this conclusion recalls us to humility and submission from which also he immediately draws the inference let us not therefore judge one another any more for we are not allowed to usurp the office of judge who are necessarily obligated to undergo the divine judgment and give an account of our conduct for the apostle indirectly points out such malignant censures as exert all their wit and talents in discovering something in the life and conversation of their brethren which they may censure he orders them therefore to adopt every cautious measure and plan because by their neglect they frequently cast their brethren over some dreadful precipice or drive them against some stumbling-block by which they fall i know and am persuaded by the lord jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean to him it is unclean but if thy brother be grieved with thy meat now walkest thou not charitably destroy not him with thy meat for whom christ died let not then your good be evil spoken of for the kingdom of god is not meat and drink but righteousness and peace and joy in the holy ghost for he that in these things serveth christ is acceptable to god and approved of men i know to prevent the objection of those christians whose progress in the gospel of christ was so great that they made no distinction in meats paul just proves what opinion must be formed of meats considered in themselves and then subjoins the sin attending the circumstance of their use he declares therefore that no meat is impure to a right and pure conscience and the only impediments to our making a pure use of meats are ignorance and error for if any one imagines meat to be unclean he cannot use it freely he soon after adds we must not only have respect to the kind of food itself but to our brethren also before whom we eat for we ought not to consider the use of god's blessings to be so indifferent as not to be subject to the law of christian love the meaning of the apostle is the following i know all meats to be clean and on this account leave them to your own free choice i allow your conscience to be disengaged from all scruples on this head and i do not exclude you simply from the use of the meats themselves but i wish while you dismiss from your thought the mere food that you should not neglect your neighbour the word unclean means profane which is promiscuously used by the impious in opposition to those which are peculiarly sanctified for the use of a faithful people 
he says that he knows and is fully and undoubtedly persuaded of the cleanness and purity of all food the apostle adds in the lord jesus because his kindness and grace is the cause why all creatures are blessed to us by the lord which were otherwise cursed in adam he was however desirous at the same time to oppose the liberty granted by christ to the slavery of the law that believers might not consider themselves bound to an observance from which they had been delivered by christ his exception shows that nothing is so pure as not to be contaminated by a corrupt conscience for all our food and enjoyments are sanctified by faith alone and true piety unbelievers are inwardly polluted and infect everything by their unhallowed touch titus one fifteen but if thy brother be grieved with thy meat paul now points out the three various ways by which a brother may be offended by our use of food and temporal enjoyments love in the first place is violated if our brother is grieved for so slight a cause for it is contrary to love to be the means of plunging any one in sorrow in the second place the value of the blood of christ is neglected by wounding a weak conscience for the most contemptible of the brethren is redeemed by the blood of jesus and nothing can be more disgraceful than to destroy a brother for the mere gratification of the appetite surely we are in a dishonourable manner too much devoted to our animal gratifications if we prefer food which in itself is so very worthless to christ our redeemer the third reason is that if our saviour has purchased a valuable liberty for us we ought to use every exertion in our power to prevent our christian freedom from being justly blamed and evil spoken of by our fellow-men and this always takes place when we improperly abuse the gifts of the source of all blessings these reasons are sufficient to make us avoid offending in a rash manner our brethren by improperly indulging our liberty for the kingdom of god paul now on the other hand informs us that we may without loss abstain from the use of our liberty since the kingdom of god does not consist in these things for it is our bounden duty never to omit the performance of those duties which are calculated to raise and preserve the kingdom of god whatever offences may result from so determined and noble a conduct those disturbers of the peace of the church cannot be tolerated who might forbear the use of meat for the sake of love to their weak brethren without dishonouring god inflicting any injury on christ's kingdom or offending against the laws of genuine piety paul uses the very same arguments in the first epistle to the corinthians chapter six verse thirteen meats for the belly and the belly for meats but god shall destroy both it and them one corinthians eight eight meat commendeth us not to god for neither if we eat are we the better neither if we eat not are we the worse paul in fine wants to show that food and drink are in themselves too vile and contemptible to be made the cause of preventing the course of the gospel but righteousness and peace paul did not contrast meat and drink with these three christian graces as if he intended to enumerate all the excellencies which form the kingdom of christ but merely to show that its glory consisted in the enjoyment of spiritual blessings he has however in these few words certainly included the sum of the gospel namely our rest with god in having our consciences sprinkled with the blood of the lamb and possessing true joy by the holy spirit dwelling in us as a temple and forming us to his glory the possessor of true and genuine righteousness enjoys the highest and most inestimable blessing the peaceful joy of conscience what want or desire is felt by the believer who has peace with god peace in my opinion expresses the manner in which spiritual joy is received for in whatever state of torpid feeling or of vain exultation the reprobate may be placed true joy and cheerfulness of conscience can only be possessed by those who feel god to be reconciled and propitious to them in christ solid substantial joy is the fruit of this peace 
although it is the bounden duty of every believer to proclaim the spirit as the author of such invaluable gifts yet paul intended to make an allusion in this passage to the opposition which exists between the internal joys of the spirit and mere external blessings we may hence learn that all blessings pertaining to the kingdom of god may be enjoyed by us in the highest and most complete manner without the use of food which is required only for the maintenance and support of the body for he that in these things it follows as a necessary consequence that the kingdom of god is in a perfectly vigorous and flourishing state with respect to those believers who are accepted of god and approved by men the servant of christ who obeys his redeemer with a calm and placid conscience by means of the righteousness which is by faith commends himself both to god and man the kingdom of god is complete and entire in all its parts where righteousness peace and spiritual joy exist and it therefore does not consist in things of a mere bodily nature the obeyer of the will of the most high must be necessarily acceptable to the god of love men cannot fail to approve of the conduct of those who exhibit in their lives and conversation a clear evidence of their being guided by virtue the wicked it must be granted do not always spare the children of the king of glory nay the enemies of divine truth pour forth without the least cause or occasion the most opprobrious language against believers and defame by calumnies of their own invention men of the most blameless characters even the good actions of the pious are perverted by malignant interpretations into vices paul is here speaking concerning the judgment of sincerity and truth without any admixture of moroseness without the least spark of hatred and without the perverse statements of superstition let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another for meat destroy not the work of god all things indeed are pure but it is evil for that man who eateth with offence it is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak let us therefore follow paul uses every effort to recall the attention of his readers from the mere consideration of meats to those higher and nobler attainments which ought chiefly to influence regulate and direct all our actions we should eat to live we should live to act as the servants of the lord we perform due obedience to the lord of heaven and earth when we edify our neighbour by benevolence kindness and courteousness nearly all the duties of love may be summed up in harmony union and edification to prevent his readers from undervaluing these gifts paul repeats his former opinion that corruptible meat is in itself too contemptible to be made the cause of destroying the building of the lord for we may discern the work of the lord wherever there is even the least spark of piety and the disturbers of a weak conscience by unkindness and harshness demolish this divine structure paul unites edification with peace because too great indulgence and improper compliance are frequently very destructive we ought therefore never to lose sight of the spiritual advancement of our brother and should never comply with anything unless we consider it may promote his growth in grace paul instructs us one corinthians ten twenty three all things are lawful for me but all things are not expedient and he adds the reason but all things edify not paul justly again impresses the opinion for meat destroy not and means that we ought to use abstinence in such a manner as not to injure our piety and should be careful not to eat anything which may prove an offence to a doubting brother since the kingdom of god does not consist in meats and drinks paul grants by the expressions all things indeed are pure that there is nothing unclean and the passage but it is evil for that man who eateth with offence forms an exception 
our apostle wishes to convey the following meaning food is indeed good but any offence caused by its use to a brother is evil food is granted to us that we may eat without doing anything contrary to the great principle of love to violate love in the use of meat pollutes what was otherwise pure the apostle hence infers that we ought to abstain from everything which may offend our brethren paul by the words stumble is offended is made weak points out the necessity of our not even causing our brother to fall of our not offending him and our avoiding everything by which he might be made weak to weaken is less than to offend and to offend than to fall the first takes place when the balance of the conscience of a brother begins to waver the second when conscience is more powerfully shaken and disturbed the third when zeal for religion is injured and the affections alienated from the cause of christ hast thou faith have it to thyself before god happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth and he that doubteth is damned if he eat because he eateth not of faith for whatsoever is not of faith is sin hast thou faith to bring the discussion to an end paul shows in what the excellence of christian liberty consists and the false boasting of those is made plain and undoubted who have not learned to regulate the freedom they enjoy the apostle says that our knowledge of liberty arises from faith and has properly a respect to god the possessor of this certain and firm conviction of mind ought to rest satisfied with the calmness of his conscience in the presence of god nor is it necessary to manifest his possession of this liberty before his fellow-men if therefore we offend our weak brethren by the use of flesh we undoubtedly abuse our liberty because we are not impelled to adopt such a line of conduct from any necessity this passage is evidently perverted and misunderstood when it is adduced to support the opinion that a person may observe foolish and superstitious ceremonies without danger provided his conscience is pure and undisturbed before god the context clearly confutes such a misconstruction ceremonies are established for the worship of god and are a part of our confession to detach confession from faith is to deprive the sun of his heat paul merely disputes in this passage concerning the unrestrained use of meat and drink without making any allusion to rites happy is he that condemneth not himself paul first instructs us how we may make a proper use of the gifts of god in the second place how great a barrier ignorance is for the purpose of preventing us from urging the inexperienced beyond the limits of their own weakness the general maxim happy is he who is not accused and condemned by his own conscience applies to all our actions provided we examine our conduct in a right and proper manner for many contrive and perpetrate the worst and basest of crimes without any scruple of conscience because they shut their eyes and hurry on whithersoever the blind and furious indulgence of the fleshly appetites and passions carry them without ever reflecting upon the dangers to which their virtue and happiness are exposed if we always make a broad line of demarcation between the voice of stupid ignorance and of a sound judgment that man may be pronounced happy whose conscience after a careful examination of his whole conduct does not sting him from a view of his sins his errors or his crimes a good conscience is the only security we can have that our works are pleasing to the judge of quick and dead all vain excuses alleged by many in consequence of ignorance whose errors are closely entwined and connected with sloth and apathy are thus completely set aside for if mere good intentions as they call it were sufficient all self-examination by which the spirit of god weighs and values the works and deeds of men would be vain and superfluous and he that doubteth this one expression clearly points out the line of conduct necessary to be observed by a wavering and unsteady mind doubt implies a restless alternation 
suspense and wavering inclination of the understanding between the various deliberations to which its attention is directed since therefore a certainty and placid security of conscience before god is the beginning of virtue and of good works nothing is more opposed to the approval of our actions after self-examination than uncertainty and trepidation of mind happy would it be for the human race if they steadily adopted the following maxim that they ought to engage in no undertaking which they did not certainly know to be agreeable to the will of infinite perfection a steady adherence to this principle would prevent men from acting in so disorderly a manner during the great part of their lives from sleeping over the task assigned them or from hurrying along with an unrestrained and blind impulse wherever they are driven by a heated imagination or a reckless spirit of enterprise lust avarice licentiousness or ambition for if we are not allowed to take a single mouthful of bread with a doubting conscience how much greater caution ought to be used in transactions of the highest importance for whatsoever is not of faith any work or action however excellent or distinguished it may appear to be provided it is not founded upon a right conscience is considered to be sin for god does not regard outward pomp and splendour but the inward obedience of the heart on this alone the whole value of our works depends what kind of obedience is his who does not engage in any transaction with a full conviction and persuasion of his enjoying the approbation of his god the least doubt of the favour of the most high deservedly convicts the agent as guilty of prevarication who purposes his mad career against the testimony of conscience faith in this place means a constant persuasion of mind and an unshaken certainty which are derived only from the truth of god uncertainty therefore and trembling doubt vitiate and spoil all our actions however splendid they may otherwise appear the pious mind since it can acquiesce with certainty in nothing else but the word of god must regard all fictitious worship and every kind of work which arise from the imaginations of men as vain and delusive to condemn whatever is not of faith is a rejection of everything that has not the support and approval of the word of god nor is it sufficient that our actions are approved by the word of god provided our mind depending and testing with confidence on this persuasion does not engage with the utmost diligence and alacrity in the work to which it is directed let us always remember this great principle of a holy life that our minds ought never to be placed in a state of fluctuating uncertainty but relying and resting with confidence on god's word we ought to follow with perfect security wherever he calls End of section twenty.